0: And baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grips him on the run. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yes! 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 Yeah. Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson. To first. Braves! Yeah! World champions! Braves and baseball talk. Straight from the Diamond. Here's Grant McCauley.
1: And hello and welcome to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you here on a Sunday morning from the Kia Studios as we... Wrap up the weekend for the Atlanta Braves and wrap up what was a pretty darn good week for this Braves club as well as they just continue to find ways to win series. And if you were tuned into the show a couple of weeks ago and you might've been worried about what the state of the Braves was, what they were going to do with their rotation, is the offense going to be able to carry this club? Do we do enough at the trade deadline? All these were questions that I think everyone was to some extent asking one another. And I know they were asking me certainly as you look at the long course of a season And the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows, all those other things, and I did not mean to rhyme that. That's terrible, and I'll try to do better in the future, but there are just so many things that go into that 162-game marathon, and I think for the Braves and for the starting rotation, there was just that little bitty speed bump, but it made people nervous because of the timing of the year, because of the opportunity that the trade deadline typically affords clubs if you're willing to pay the price. And of course, when you forecast what could be ahead for the team, recency likes to creep in and kind of um, you know, give you an indication of where you might feel like you are at a given moment, but that kind of thing can change, and typically it does, and it did for the Atlanta Braves. The rotation has course corrected. The offense continues to pile up runs, and I think the bullpen might be about as good right now as it's been at any point during the season, and this is a bullpen that's been asked to do an awful lot over the last couple of months in particular, and really all season long with the starting rotation in different states of disrepair and, of course, dealing with a lot of injuries. So As you know, those have been some of the stories and some of the thoughts surrounding this Atlanta Braves club, but don't let that cloud the picture. And the picture is that the Braves have the best record in baseball. They have moved to 40 games over 500 after securing a series win against the San Francisco Giants. Last I checked, 40 games over 500. Uh, That will play most seasons, and it's certainly playing for the Atlanta Braves this year. They are in the midst of, I think, a very interesting road trip you go out and face the San Francisco Giants club that I think is trying to cling to any and all life it can in the wild card. That's not going so well out there for the Giants of late. They've lost a couple of series to the Braves and really not playing the kind of baseball they want to at this particular time. Then you roll into Coors Field. That should always be fascinating for a pitching staff and, of course, for an offense like the Braves because flashback to a couple of months ago when the Colorado Rockies rolled through Truist Park. The Atlanta Braves demolished that team, and it was not in the mile-high conditions that they'll be playing in this week. So if the Braves can outscore the Rockies by, I believe it was, what, 40 runs in that series, what in the world can they do in Colorado? We'll find out. I mean, of course, we'll end up with a bunch of 4-3 to three and 3-2 three to two games, and that's what I get for throwing it out there. But, no, this Braves offense is explosive, and putting them in an environment like that, uh, it could be akin to a home-run derby. We'll find out how exactly that plays out as the Braves roll into Colorado for three games that begin on Monday. But, all of that is just the build up for what I think is a postseason preview, quite possibly, of the two best teams in the National League, and that's the Braves and the Dodgers, the Dodgers and the Braves. If you've heard this story before, it's because uh, since 2018, there's been a pretty good case that one of these two clubs is going to be in that discussion. And for the last three years at least, both of these teams have been in that discussion. One or two, you know, take your pick. Both of these clubs have won a World Series in the last couple of years, but they'd like to win another one. And the Braves certainly, I think, to roll through October the way that they want to, they're going to have to figure out a way to deal with the L.A. Dodgers or teams like the L.A. Dodgers. Not that there are a ton of them out there, but it's really fascinating when you size these two clubs up because they have gone through a lot of the same things. They have uh, some very similar production from some MVP candidates, plural, for both clubs. And so that's just going to be one of the many storylines that we uh, see play out in that four-game set at Dodger Stadium that happens this weekend You've got Ron Lacuna Jr. and Matt Olson making MVP cases for the Braves. You've got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman making MVP cases for the Dodgers. That right there is your top four. Good luck to anybody trying to crack that group right there. And how exactly that's all going to shake out, we're going to talk a little bit about it because there's been a lot of discussion with what Ron Lacuna Jr. did over the course of the first half of the season anyway, putting himself in line for what could be a historic season, the likes of which we've never seen before with the power and speed combo Not to mention all the runs he's scoring, the career highs and batting average, on-base percentage, you know, fewer strikeouts than ever before. That might be one of the most, if not the most impressive things that he's done year over year as far as improvement is concerned. And then you start realizing that, you know, this is a kid that could do this for a number of years. You throw in all those stolen bases, and I think there's just a conversation to be made about the overall quality of season that Ronald Acuna Jr. is having that you've probably heard a time or three on the show. But... I feel like we've gotten to that point of the year where maybe people are just looking for who's hot lately and who is getting hot right towards the end. And that's to take nothing away from a couple of the other candidates, Mookie Betts in particular. We're going to get all into that discussion because there was a lot of it on social media. And I think it's one worth having and one worth parsing into the numbers, certainly, but also recognizing that greatness takes many forms and more than one player has a great season per year. And that's what the MVP is typically about is trying to figure out maybe who had the greatest season. Sometimes the team winning has more to do with it than others. Sometimes it's just, hey, if you're the best player in baseball, like the American League, for example, you might just win the MVP award. And that, I think, is going to go to Shohei Otani. And man, do we have some Shohei Otani to talk about on the show. Unfortunately, uh, one of the stories in baseball that I don't think anybody wanted to hear, and I think everybody was disappointed, if not absolutely crestfallen about, as is the news of Shohei Otani's pitching side of things being done for the season with a torn UCL. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. I'm going to have Ben Verlander of Fox Sports join me. We'll talk some about the Atlanta Braves, definitely the offensive firepower of this club, the likes of which we've never seen for a Braves team. Then we'll have to get into the Shohei Otani part and you know, try to figure out what does this mean for the future of baseball's biggest superstar who is on the doorstep of free agency And doing things that we've never seen anybody do on a baseball field, not seen one person be able to do. How can you be the best hitter in the league and one of the best pitchers in baseball? Shohei Otani was showing us how every fifth day as far as on the mound and, of course, what he does at the plate. He's going to continue to do this season, and I think that's an interesting offshoot story of this. A lot of times, you know, pitcher suffers an elbow injury, well, season's over. you got to figure out what the route you're going to take is, the surgery, the rehab, the recovery. All of those things are discussions that Shohei Otani's going to have to have at some point, but in the meantime, he can just resume being the best hitter in the American League. And that, I think, it just underscores the greatness of this guy. And uh, also, since i got one of the Verlanders on the show, I figured why don't we talk about Justin's exit from the New York Mets, everything that was going on up there. His homecoming with the Houston Astros. I'll talk about that with Ben Verlander of Fox Sports, the host of the Flippin' Bats podcast. If you haven't subscribed to that, I highly recommend that. Check that out. And give it a listen and a subscription as well. And speaking of subscribing... How could I go this long without telling you about From the Diamond, which you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on social media on most platforms, at Grant McCauley's, where you can find me. And you can like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond there. And if you need any links to all of that stuff, fromthediamond.com is a great place to find that. It's on the top navigational bar. Now, talk some about what the Braves have been doing on this road trip, but that's just an extension of what they have done in the month of August and, of course, what they just did on the homestand and then seeing what was, I think, one of the leading causes of that or factors in that, the starting rotation beginning to really string together some outstanding outings. We'll discuss what's going on a little bit later with some of these guys individually speaking, but I think it was just time that you needed to see everybody start to figure it out. Charlie Morton was coming off four really tough starts. He had to kind of grind one out against the New York Mets, walk seven guys in five scoreless innings. Don't know that I've seen that before, but hey, I think that was the start of something because the last two starts for Charlie Morton have been outstanding. Spencer Strider, speaking of outstanding, continued his dominance as he rolled into San Francisco and piled up another you know, big strikeout night and helped the Braves figure out a way to win a game in that series. And then you look at what Bryce Elder's doing lately. I think that is some encouraging developments for him. And I think Max Freed is starting to put some stuff together. His last couple of outings, the pitch count has been up around 100, and that's something that you needed to see just to know that he was you know, healthy, healthy, Feeling good and you know, continuing to, I think, sharpen things up based on a three-month layoff. That's going to put anybody behind the eight ball, but Max Reed, I think, has done a nice job of that lately, and it's just good to see the Braves starting rotation beginning to roll and you know, kind of figure out what we're doing in the fifth starter spot. But pretty soon, we might be talking about a big return for this Braves rotation in the form of Kyle Wright, who began his rehab assignment. I was up in Rome on Thursday and caught up with Kyle, who was very encouraged and should be about the results of that three scoreless innings in that outing. A tremendous first step back for him. Handful of rehab starts ahead, but you start looking at the Braves rotation once you get Kyle Wright back in the mix. And, then that's the, and this is the exact time of year that you want to have that kind of good fortune to have somebody walk through the door with the capabilities of a 21-game winner a year ago and a guy that won a playoff game for you last year. And if you forgot, and I don't know how you would, Kyle Wright was also an important piece in the 2021 World Series with some very important relief work that he was able to do against the Houston Astros. And I think that kind of catapulted him into his success in 2022, so it'll be good to have Kyle back in the mix. You'll hear from him a little bit later on. And speaking of returns, I think we're finally starting to count down the days until veteran reliever Jesse Chavez is going to get the opportunity to resume his career, which was very much in question after taking a line drive off the shin. We thought maybe it wasn't as serious as you might have feared at first, but as it turns out, Jesse Chavez was dealing with a little bit more the past couple of months than most people might have realized. So I got the chance to catch up with Jesse at Truist Park, and I think he is very encouraged. He's throwing off the mound and facing hitters, and once he's able to get the all clear, could be on a rehab assignment very soon as well. And Dylan Lee is already down there in Gwinnett. So I say all that to say the Braves are getting healthy at a very good time. A knock on wood, they want to keep everybody healthy. That's important. But when you put together a pitching staff that's coming together at this time down the stretch, and heading into October with an offense of historic proportions the way that the Braves have, well, I think you already get it. And you look at an 84-44 and record, you've got a very good chance to do some serious damage in October. And, of course, that's what it's all about. we got all kinds of stuff to get into, though, on today's show, of course. And we're going to talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, some of the big things going on. How about that MVP discussion? We'll go ahead and get into that. Ron LaCooney Jr. versus the field. Is it that simple anymore? I'll discuss on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 929, The Game.
0: Now, back to more From the Diamond. Sports Radio 929, The Game.
1: Welcome back into From the Diamond on Sports Radio 929, The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios here on a Sunday morning. And we're out of our normal time slot, as many of us are well aware. And it it's time for football season to crank up here. And that's always. I think it cause for celebration, well, of course, if your team's doing well and around here we do okay, I think in some respects, and hopefully better in other respects. We'll find out. But the Braves are doing about as well as they can possibly do at this point of the season, considering their record, considering what this offense is doing, as I've discussed opening up the show, getting healthy at the right time on the pitching side. They have all the makings of a club that could do some pretty special things. And at the top of the list of things that have gone right for the Atlanta Braves in 2023, the resurgence And I use that word differently for certain players. And I'll just start with this guy. The resurgence of Ronald Acuna Jr., who dealt with that knee injury in 2021 that knocked him out for the second half of that season to put the Braves on a very strange and winding path to winning the World Series. He comes back in 2022, not quite the same player. Flashes of that brilliance, but not that extended dominance that we had come to expect from Ronald in all five categories when you think about a five-tool player. But 2023, let me just tell you, if you haven't been watching, you've been missing some good stuff. And Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing things the likes of which really nobody has done by the time this season is over. Historically speaking, I think he's on a path to some pretty special stuff. And he is, in fact, the guy that sets the tone for the best offense in all of baseball. Let's not forget that. And I think he's a big reason why opposing pitchers and opposing teams have an awful lot of trouble Dealing with this Atlanta Braves club because you better be locked in from the first pitch on, or you could find yourself down one to nothing at the very least with Ronald up there to lead off a game, or you could find yourself behind the eight ball after the Braves score five or six runs in the first inning, and that has happened quite a bit this year. But I wanted to have a little bit of a discussion because I've seen it kind of you know kicked around, and it's I think a perfectly normal discussion. You know who's the MVP in the National League this year? Who's the MVP in the American League is not quite as a fun discussion because there's only one answer. In the National League, I think it's kind of fun that there are, at this point in the season, four players that you can easily identify who are, I think, the cream of the crop for the National League in 2023. Now, one of them, Ronald Acuna Jr., we've been talking about all season long. Then you all of a sudden heard a teammate, Matt Olsen, start to enter that discussion, and that is because of the blistering hot streak that he went on after moving to the cleanup spot in the Braves' order. Then you start to look out west as the Dodgers were trying to piece some things together Freddie Freeman was having an outstanding season and was going to be a top three National League MVP finalist the way that things were shaking out. But all of a sudden, Mookie Betts just went supernova and might have surpassed what Freddie Freeman was doing. And that's a big reason why the Dodgers have been one of the hottest teams in the last, what, couple of months and at least the last six weeks. And here in the second half, because they have been able to really take the National League West and kind of run away with it for a while. And it it looked like they were going to be able to do that quite as easily, and they were dealing with a lot of the same things the Braves were. I alluded to this earlier. They've had all kinds of starting rotation problems, but the offense is something that's helping to carry them through all of that, and I think that the Braves have been in that same boat, and we've talked about it a lot here on the show. But looking at Ronald Lacuna Jr.'s MVP case, I think it's something that we've done for, what, about 127, 128 games now, and it's one of the best cases that you're ever going to see. If you were going to sit down and predict what Ronald Acuna Jr.'s numbers were going to look like if he was back in 100% healthy, which he is this year. I don't know that you would have been able to find all of these, and some of them would have been completely off the board. But third in Major League Baseball with a 333 average. He leads Major League Baseball and on-base percentage. It's at 416. That's a career high. He's fifth in slugging, so you throw those together. He's got a nine forty four OPS. And the crazy thing is I still think he's got another home run binge up his sleeve in the final 30 or so games. He's got 28 home runs, though. When he hits two more homers and steals one more base, he'd become the first player in baseball history to have a 30-homer, 60-stolen base season. Ricky Henderson didn't do it. Barry Bonds didn't do it. Uh, Eric Davis of the 1980s did not do it. Davis and Bonds have the only 30-50 seasons in baseball history, and that happened back in 1987 and 1990. So it's been about three decades since anybody's done something quite like what Ronald's doing, and he still has I think, an outside shot at 40-40, Though he's going to have to get that home run binge, I think, at some point. To get to 12, he needs to get to 40. But either way, he could break the Braves' single-season record for stolen bases at 72. He's only 13 away from matching that now. And those are just some of the things that he's been doing this year. 115 runs scored, most in baseball. You put that at the top of the order. With the best lineup in all of baseball, you are going to score some runs. And it's not just Ronald hitting home runs and just getting on base and a couple of guys knocking him in. It's what he does out on the base paths that I think has been special this year. And those 59 stolen bases, that pretty much underscores how good he has been. And if it was that easy with the new rules, I think there'd be a few other people that have stolen 50 bases at this point. But at last check, there's really not that many guys who are running to the level that Ron Lacuna Jr. is. So while there was a rule change, and I will stipulate, you know, it does limit what the pitchers can do, if it was this easy, there are plenty of fast guys across Major League Baseball that can have piled up at this point 30, 40, or maybe 50 stolen bases when you're two-thirds of the way, more than two-thirds of the way through the season at this point, three-quarters, let's call it that. But Ronald Acuna Jr., top five in wins above replacement as well, according to Fangraph, 6.3. And again, he's on pace to do something that no one in baseball has ever done, a 30-60 or a 30-70 season. Whichever one he ends up with, that's going to be some baseball history. And what Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are doing this year is also impressive. And there's a very good reason they're in the MVP conversation. It's because they're having MVP-level seasons. Just taking a look at what Mookie has done this year, 149 hits across 122 games. He scored 108 runs. He's already got 34 homers, 90 runs knocked in, 36 doubles. He's walked 73 times, so he's a 300-plus hitter, 400-plus on base, 600-plus slug. That's a seven-win season at this point. So he's on pace for, I think, if he continues his incredible run here in the second half, a nine-win season according to Wins Above Replacement. And helping him out in that lineup is Freddie Freeman. 128 games for him this year. 48 doubles, 23 homers, 86 runs knocked in, 107 scored. He's batting .339 with a .415 on base and a .577 slug. That breaks out to about a 1,000 OPS, and it breaks out to a six, six-and-a-half war season for Freddie Freeman. There's a reason, again, that these guys are in that discussion. You look at what Matt Olson's doing. On pace for a 50-homer season, leading the National League in home runs, on pace for 140-plus runs batted in this year. He's got 112 on the season. That's the most in Major League Baseball, and no player to this point here in late August has reached 100 runs batted in. Matt olson has been there for a few weeks. He's done some impressive things, and what he's done in the cleanup spot is really the crux of his MVP discussion, his MVP case or credentials, whatever you want to call it. But all of these guys have come along throughout the course of the year, but I feel like Ron Acuna has been this steady greatness throughout the course of the season. A lot of folks have looked at it and said, well, Maybe Ronald's having a down month. Well, if your down month involves having the best on-base percentage that you've had of any month this season, and you're still out there playing every day, and you're still scoring a ton of runs, and you're still stealing bases and doing all the things that you were doing before, I think the only reason it looks like a down month is because you put it to the side of what Mookie Betts has done, and maybe you start to think, okay, well, Mookie's been a little bit better over the past month or two. Maybe he has, but that does not take away the greatness of Ronald Acuna Jr., It doesn't really take the shine off of what Freddie Freeman is doing in that same lineup with Mookie Betts, nor does it really take away from what Matt Olsen has done. That's just kind of how the awards work. Everybody makes a case, the writers vote at the end of the year, and we find out who exactly is going to win this award, and sometimes it feels like there's a little bit of campaigning that goes on. Maybe on this show, we've campaigned for Ronald Acuna Jr. to win the MVP, or maybe we've just been making a very steady case, and his numbers do all the talking, by the way that he's the best player in the National League this year, and I think that he is. But it doesn't mean that there's going to be the best player in the National League and then such a sizable gap that nobody else approaches it. That's just not how baseball works in the course of 162 and with great players like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, throw Matt Olsen in there, and there's others. They're going to get some MVP talk as well. I just don't really feel like it's anything to get too upset about at the end of August because it hasn't been decided yet, and as we say, we've still got some baseball left to be played and I don't think anybody needs to you know, wring their hands too much about this, but it's all part of this rivalry that's built in between the Braves and the Dodgers that if all goes according to plan for both clubs, they could wind up settling this whole, not the MVP, but they could settle everything for 2023 come October in a seven-game format, and that I think will be an awful lot of fun to watch. But Acuna is powering the best offense in baseball. He's the poster child for what this lineup has done as a whole, and even if you put aside his stolen bases, the Braves lead the majors and runs scored, home runs, and a slew of other offensive categories, OPS. And they've also cut their strikeout rate. And that, I think, is one of the things that makes Ronald so impressive. He's striking out just over 12% this year. His career strikeout rate coming in was pushing 25%, 26%, and had been as high as 30% in a season. This is a guy that struck out 188 times in his first full year in the big leagues and is somehow, amazingly, at this point, sitting on 73 strikeouts. 128 games into the season. That kind of improvement, that's the kind of thing, when I said trying to predict what Ronald Acuna Jr.' season was going to look like, I did not account for that. And that is one of the reasons why he's getting on base more and doing all the other things that he's doing. But the Braves as a whole have dropped from second in Major League Baseball and strikeouts a year ago to 24th. I talked about this some last week. That is an incredible, incredible improvement in approach and execution and the proof's in the pudding. The Braves are the best offense in all of baseball as well. A couple of guys that have been helping out here lately that have been very much needed, Marcel Ozuna and Eddie Rosario. Back in April, I think Ozuna was possibly days, maybe a week away from being designated for assignment. He had about as bad an April as you can put together. He batted 083, if memory serves. That is not what you're looking for out of your slugging DH, because, again, the DH is in play, so that the pitcher doesn't have to bat. So you would like the DH to hit a little bit more than a pitcher possibly would. Well, Marcel Lozuna has been able to work his way through that. He got hot in early May, carried that on into June, cooled off some in July. But here lately, he has found himself, I think, maybe operating at the best level he has this season. And this is what makes the Braves lineup so hard to deal with is, well, okay. You got Ronald Acuna Jr. got to account for him. You got to deal with Ozzie Albies, who could be back soon, batting second. Austin Riley just hit his 30th home run of the year, a milestone for him, third consecutive year for that. You got Matt Olson. I just talked about what he's doing, and then you start to get into the teeth of the order, which includes Marcel Ozuna, Eddie Rosario, Sean Murphy or Travis Darnot, Orlando Arcia, who just matched his career high in homers, and then the best ninth place hitter in all of baseball and Michael Harris. Good luck trying to figure out how you're going to get through that, especially if Ozuna's doing what he's done the last 22 games. Batting 392. he he's got 31 hits in those 22 games. He's also walked 11 times, so that'll give you a 467 on base percentage. Eight doubles, six homers, 19 runs knocked in, 18 more runs scored. That's in a 22-game span. So he's knocking on the door now of a 30-homer season. He's got 28, and this comes after an April in which a lot of folks were thinking about how quickly you could get Marcelo Zuna off the roster, and if he had, in fact, played his way right out of Atlanta by not being productive in 2021, 2022, and that April, because remember, it wasn't just one bad month. I think we all can recall the saga of Marcelo Ozuna, both on the field and off. You just kind of wondering if this thing had run its course in April, but he was able to find himself. And I think he's done a lot behind the scenes with some of his brave teammates to earn their trust and, and their faith. And this is a guy that's going out there and producing, as is Eddie Rosario. Last 15 games for him, he's batting 392. What a coincidence. That's what Ozuna is batting the last three weeks. 20 for 51, four doubles, four homers, 15 runs knocked in, 10 runs scored. National League Player of the Week on the recent homestand as he torch the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants, a very good series for him. These two guys have really helped out, Ozuna and Rosario, as Matt Olson has cooled off a little bit. The home runs is, I think, now his longest home run drought of the year, which is going on nine or ten games. And Austin Riley had cooled off after a big-time home run binge in the month of July and into early August. But this is the Braves' lineup. When a couple of guys maybe take a step back, it always seems like somebody else takes a step forward. Now, to go back to Ronald Acuna Jr., this is the guy that has been the constant of the Braves lineup because there just has not been highs and lows for Acuna this year. If he has a hitless game, that's news. He strikes out two times in a game. That's news. And that's pretty incredible to think about when you just look at where he was this time a year ago. He was wrapping up a season in which we went into the winter I had people wondering, well, is Ronald ever going to be the same player that he was? Is this just the new normal? Are we just going to have to accept that he's a 15 or 20 homer guy who's going to steal some bases and not really be able to get to the level that he was prior to the injury? Unfortunately, the answer to all those questions is no. No, that is not who Ronald Acuna Jr. is, and I think he's doing a very good job of showing us exactly who he is. But some very, very impressive numbers for Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario helping out a lineup that has two MVP candidates, has scored the most runs in baseball and is, by and large, and I don't think there's really much of a debate about this anymore, the best Braves offense that we have ever seen in the 152 years of this franchise's history. Pretty incredible stuff. When we come back, though, we're going to hear from a pair of Braves pitchers who are on the path back to the major leagues. I got a chance to catch up with Kyle Wright after his rehab start in Rome and with Jesse Chavez, who is working his way back towards rejoining this club and this bullpen in September after what was... A very scary injury back in June. You'll hear from both of those men as we size things up for the Braves pitching staff next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia studios here on a Sunday as the Braves wrap up their weekend in San Francisco and continue their road trip out west. It's 10 games before they get to come back home. Next stop is Colorado. They'll get three against the Rockies at Coors Field, which, I don't know, it's great for offenses and probably not as exciting for pitching staffs. But if you've got the Braves offense on your side and you are the Braves pitching staff, then maybe you feel kind of okay about it and just want to get in and out as soon as possible. We'll talk a little bit more about that series. And, of course, we'll be focused in on that next stop, which is the four-game set against the Los Angeles Dodgers to close out this road trip. That one's going to have a lot of eyeballs from across baseball and, of course, across Braves country, and we'll talk a lot more about that as we continue on with the show. As I talked about a little bit with the Braves offense, you know, this is a club that is powered by a great lineup and that is able to put up more runs than anyone else in baseball. The beneficiaries of all those runs being scored is, of course, the Braves pitching staff, which it might surprise you to know that the Braves have the third-best ERA in all of baseball coming into Sunday. And they're just a tenth of a point behind the Blue Jays and the Mariners, who are tied at the top. The Braves have a 3.78 staff ERA, and I know that's not a perfect stat, but at least it's an indicator of, for the most part, what the Braves are allowing as a pitching staff, and it's under four runs per game. Put that with an offense that has a way of scoring more than four runs per game typically, and you're going to find some pretty good outcomes more times than not. Now the Braves' starting rotation has an ERA just over four. It's at 4.04 if we want to get technical about it. Just behind the Cleveland Guardians in eighth place in all of Major League Baseball. But only the San Diego Padres have a better ERA among starting rotations than the Atlanta Braves in the National League. That's kind of a sobering statistic, and it would tell you that there's not quite as much great starting pitching around that you might expect, especially for some of the other clubs that are division leaders and playoff hopefuls or just flat-out expected to be in the postseason. You think about it, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Dodgers series later on, but I mean, that's a club that has had all kinds of problems in its starting rotation. You usually don't find the Dodgers 16th in Major League Baseball in rotational ERA, but that's where they find themselves, but hey, they're right behind the Baltimore Orioles, who are one of the other best teams in baseball record-wise. The Orioles are 15th in all of baseball. So finding the Braves in that eighth spot, it's not going to generate a trophy or anything like that for the club, but it does let you know when compared to what else is going on across baseball, the Braves are in a pretty decent place, and that's just in the rotation. Now, if we're to look at what's been going on with the relief pitching, that is where I think a lot of folks may not realize exactly how good Atlanta's bullpen has been when you compare it to all other bullpens in baseball. I don't have to tell you how frustrating it is to watch a late lead slip away or to see runs added on late in games, and nobody likes losing. But when you look at the entire group effort that the Braves bullpen has put forth this year, a three thirty nine ERA is second in baseball only to the New York Yankees among bullpen ERAs. The Seattle Mariners, who we will get into coming up here in the show when we take our look around the big leagues, They have an outstanding bullpen, 345 ERA, but the Braves are tops in the National League by nearly a third of a run over the Philadelphia Phillies. That's who come up second. And then you find the Milwaukee Brewers at ninth, the San Francisco Giants at tenth. But for some reason, you always hear about the Braves bullpen being a weak link. The stats just don't bear that out. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to throw all zeros, but this is a bullpen that has done the job far more times than not. And it's a bullpen that seems to be really finding itself at the most important time of the year, down the stretch, heading into October. We talked about this on last week's show. Joe Jimenez has been throwing extremely well for quite some time. You've got Pierce Johnson, who came over from the Colorado Rockies, who is also throwing great. A.J. Minter is healthy. Rysel Iglesias looks as good as he has all season long. And you've got plenty of other relievers who are making their contributions. And you might be getting a little bit healthier when Dylan Lee comes back in September and when the next man we're going to hear from makes his return. And it's one I think we've all been looking forward to. Jesse Chavez was struck by a line drive on the left shin way back in June. At the time, everyone, including Jesse Chavez, felt like he dodged a bullet. The imaging showed that he just had a bruise and he was going to have to deal with that for, what, a couple of weeks? Then he'd start kind of tracking back towards a return. That simply has not been the case. We're over two months removed from that, but I got a chance to catch up with Jesse Chavez at Truist Park over the homestand and kind of get some insight on where exactly he is and what precisely has been taking him
2: so long to get back on a mound. No issues from the shin, where I got hit, or, or anything like that. So that's the good part. Um, it's been getting better day to day. Um, running's been getting better. Um, I think that's the final test that we got to do before they can send me off, making sure i be able to get over to first base and yep. not put us in position. You know, game on the line or something like that. You know, obviously with what we got going on. Um, but I think with the way I'm progressing, I mean, I don't put any words out there because I put before but didn't expect it to be this long and mm-hmm. as bad of a, I would say, bruise, but smallest break you could possibly imagine, I guess, from that aspect. So being able to understand that part kind of made my mind go to ease and once that happened and I found that out my recovery actually got way faster and better on a daily basis. Yeah. So I think after today I think I got another another live at the end of the week and then I'm off hopefully.
1: I don't think it's too surprising when you consider how long it's been taking Jesse Chavez to get both back on his feet literally and then back on a mound so that he can return to the game that he loves and hey, this is a guy that just turned 40 so He's not looking to miss any time at this stage of his career, but it's not surprising to find out that maybe it was a little bit more than a bruise. And turns out, the club and Jesse Chavez made the decision to get another round of imaging during that long road trip the Braves were on a couple of weeks ago. At that time, they discovered that he had been dealing with a microfracture in that left leg. That's what was causing him so much pain That's what's been delaying his return because the pain simply would not subside on the timetable that he or the team had expected. Now, time has obviously run its course and helped him heal that, but this was something that was not caught on the initial scans because of the inflammation and the swelling in the area, and that caused the microfracture to go unnoticed. Now, Jesse gave us a few more details on all of that and, of course, what it is he's focused on right now as he works his way towards a rehab assignment that could happen sometime very soon. He's been throwing live batting practice sessions. That's what he was doing on Monday when we caught up with him, so clearly feeling good about being back on the mound but knowing that there still are a couple boxes to check before he goes out on that rehab assignment.
2: The last few weeks, I would say it ha- the shins hasn't been a problem from where I got hit. It's been more of the calf being activated again, the muscles getting used to being worked again. Um, like I would say when they were on the road trip, middle of that road trip, I would say I finally started getting like soreness in my left leg in a good way because I haven't felt anything other than my right leg move. So I'm starting to feel that activate again has been the biggest plus for us moving forward now, where now I'm able to skip, I'm able to put pressure, I'm able to do single leg squats and stuff like that, now where I wasn't even able to do that 15 days ago. You know? And that's where I was beating myself up about not knowing, and then we find out what actually happened after finally all the inflammation and stuff cleared from the impact. There was a slight little thing in there
1: yeah not knowing yeah, has to be one of the hardest parts
2: of yeah being able to figure out what the path is ahead. exactly and me being as healing and as fast as i normally heal and not ever being hurt because i heal fast it's kind of one of those things where it's just like why is it taking so long for a bruise if that's the case you know and i get it some are worse than others you know so you never really know how long it can last but if it's a bruise like something's got to be more than that if i can't put any pressure on it a few days later yeah. you know what i mean And that was the biggest part.
1: When did you kind of get that
2: clarity during the last road trip you guys, they were on. That was when I really found out what what was wrong. I would say
1: just getting some clarification on what exactly was keeping him from being able to take those next steps and progress and simply walk around comfortably again. That had to be a load off Jesse Chavez's mind. And in fact it was, and that's kind of what he was talking about with now knowing that as hard as he's worked and as resilient as he's been in his career, he can kind of wrap his mind around the fact that, Hey, I was dealing with something a little bit bigger. Now I understand that the time has passed to allow that to heal. Now he has got to get those muscles going again. And he talked about how important it is to be able to run wherever it is. You need to be around that baseball diamond. It's not just on the mound all the time for a pitcher. You got to be able to field your position too. So those are the hurdles and the things that Jesse Chavez has been looking to clear over the past few weeks. And it sounds like he's making some really good progress towards that. And I know that a lot of folks are going to be excited to welcome him back as he's an integral part of that bullpen mix out there. I mean, you saw what the bullpen did when they lost Jesse Chavez. They built a statue, a very accurate statue, mind you, to put out there in the bullpen area to make sure that he is with them at all times. But as Jesse has been more around the team over the past few weeks, and please Google that statue if you haven't seen it yet. You certainly should. Radio and my description would just not do it justice. But This is a group that's very close-knit, and Jesse's a big part of that. He was also a big part of the success that they were having as his bullpen was trying to iron a few things out, and a few guys were trying to get going and also healthy at that time. Jesse posted a 155 ERA in his 31 appearances, 29 innings, just nine walks and 36 strikeouts. He was a big part of the first half for the Braves in keeping that bullpen together, and it would be really nice to have him back in the mix in the month of September. Meanwhile, September return is what we've been talking about for Kyle Wright for quite some time, and he took a big step towards that on Thursday, making a rehab start for the High A Rome Braves. This was his first action, in-game action, since way back in May when he was placed on the injured list for the second time dealing with inflammation in his shoulder. Now, this was a complete shutdown for Kyle, no throwing for over a month, and he also got a stem cell injection to help with that healing process. With that behind him, all the bullpens, all the live BPs, all of that done, it was time to go out there and get into a game, and he didn't look like he had skipped a beat. Now, I know he's facing minor league competition, but 26 pitches to cover three scoreless innings, only one hit allowed, no walks, and four strikeouts for Kyle. A great first step. I was up there in Rome and was able to catch up with him after that start to get his thoughts on how he's feeling and, of course, what's next. First step in this return, how did it feel out there tonight?
3: I uh, felt great. Um, you know, I've been working on a lot of stuff mechanically, so um, to kind of see that you know, come into effect, I thought I felt a whole lot better. Um, I really liked my tempo. I did feel like I wasn't rushing as much. I feel like I freed my arm up to throw. Definitely excited to see how I feel tomorrow and see how we bounce back, but I'm really excited with how easily um, I allowed my arm to work this go around as opposed to you know in the past
1: spring training, you were kind of dealing with, I guess, a similar thing. Uh, How would you say that time off that you've had during the seasons allowed you to maybe allow that inflammation to kind of go down and let you get back to work?
3: Yeah, I think the shutdown was really important because when I came back, uh, you know, I felt great. Um, As I started throwing, you know, normally you want to get sore again, but it was different. Um, And I I could notice it that it was, you know, more general soreness and Mm -hmm. sore in the right spots. And this go around, we really dove in pretty deep to make sure that we could you know, try to prevent this from happening. You know, as a starting pitcher you never know and you're not guaranteed no arm injuries, but yeah. there's a lot of people that put in a lot of work to, you know, try to try to put this behind us.
1: Yeah, I know it's hard to put a timetable on it after the very first one, but mm-hmm. if things do go well, do you have an anticipation of how long and how many of these you'll need?
3: Yeah, probably I mean probably another three more, I think. That's kind of I think that we have on paper. Um, you know, that could change. It could be could be less, could be more, you don't really know, but probably at least three more to build a pitch count back up and you know, get all those upbounds in.
2: How excited are you of
0: the possibility of rejoining at some point in
3: the season? Very exciting. Um, being on the aisle sucks, so it's pretty boring. Um, so I'm just itching at any opportunity to get back, um, any amount of time I could possibly get back, You know, I'm excited for. Um, Got to continue to take it day by day. You know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and you know have any setbacks or anything like that, but um, I'm really excited for the opportunity to get back and uh, pitch for us again.
1: Has it been pretty difficult to watch the team doing what it's doing this year, and obviously not being able to be a part of it the way you were last year?
3: You know, I I think it makes it easier knowing that we're playing so well, and um, I think it's really allowed. You know, all of us hurt guys. We've had quite a few. um, Take our time and uh, making sure we're doing the right thing. So, yeah, you definitely want to always be a part of it. Um, You know, that's just the competitor, and it's just such a fun team to be a part of. But um, at the same time, man, it's it's been a blast to watch those guys and. Um, see how well they've been able to play each and every night.
1: That's Braves starting pitcher Kyle Wright following his Thursday rehab outing for the Rome Braves. He should have another one coming up here this week. And then, as you heard, maybe just two more after that. If he's feeling good, he's able to get that pitch count up, and he's able to get those up-downs, which if you're curious, that just means being able to get out there and throw multiple innings Sometimes the pitch count, like we saw on Thursday, can be incredibly low and allow you to throw an extra inning, and I'm pretty sure that Kyle will be happy to throw both the innings and get up and down as many times as he has to to get back to this club and help them do some winning down the stretch. And, of course, October, where he has been a big part of the Braves' success in each of the last two seasons. Now, we may see a few names and faces in between now and the time that Kyle Wright gets back, but I went back and looked this up because I was just genuinely curious heading into the Giants' series. Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, and Bryce Elder had combined to make 75 starts prior to this weekend. Twelve other starting pitchers had combined to start the other 51 games of the season. That, to me, is just a mind-boggling stat. When it comes to the fourth and fifth spots in rotation, or really, if we're being honest, maybe the first and second or first and third spot in rotation because the two guys you were trying to replace, Max Fried and Kyle Wright, those are not easy guys to replace. It just lets you know how important it is to have Freed back now, back in the saddle and looking like he's figuring some things out, and to have Kyle Wright on the road to returning. This could be some very fortuitous timing for the Atlanta Braves heading towards the month of October. So that's a look at a couple of Braves pitchers who are aiming to get back to the club in September. When we come back, we will turn our attention to the rest of Major League Baseball as we take our trip around the big leagues. And unfortunately, this time Shohei Otani making headlines was not what anyone wanted to see. He will not pitch again this season. That, one of the big stories from the week that was. We'll get into that and much more as From the Diamond with Grant McCauley continues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. These are the Kia Studios, and this is our number two of the show. As we wrap up the weekend here on a Sunday and get you sent for what's ahead for the Atlanta Braves, we'll be talking all about the upcoming series against the Rockies and that little four-game set they've got against the Dodgers. I think folks are going to be talking about that one. We'll get to it a little bit later in the show right now, though. We are going to take our trip around the big leagues and seeing what Shohei Otani has been able to do and now knowing that he's not going to be able to pitch again at least this year. That takes some of the fun out of what has been just an incredible incredible season by one of the most incredible players that we'll ever see. The news, in case you missed it, a torn UCL for Otani. He's already undergone Tommy John surgery that happened back in 2018, but he has a tear in his ulnar collateral ligament in his right elbow, and that will, of course, keep him from pitching again this season. Unfortunately, one of the stories that comes up with the course of the season, and we dealt with this in 2021 to an extent with Ronald Acuna Jr., of course, Torn ACL cost him the rest of his year. The crazy thing about Otani is, obviously, that he does not just pitch in the fashion that he's one of the best on the mound in baseball. He's also perhaps one of, if not the best hitters in baseball. And he's going to keep hitting right on through this injury. And that is an absolutely crazy thing to think about. But it was Wednesday that this happened, a Wednesday night in Anaheim. As Otani exited his Game 1 start in a doubleheader against the Cincinnati Reds, he recorded just four outs through just 26 pitches. His fastball was down to 94 miles an hour, which, you know, is harder than I'll ever throw, but down significantly from what Otani's normal fastball velocity is. They took an MRI, and that revealed the tear. Perry Manasian, who's the general manager for the Los Angeles Angels, said they did not know the severity of it at that time. I think they're still discussing what exactly is going to be the route here, but I've talked to a lot of people just about torn UCLs and Tommy John surgery. If you have any percentage of a tear, meaning if your ligament is 99.7% intact, you still have a tear. And when you continue to pitch through it, you will continue to tear it more. And eventually you're going to have to get the surgery. So you can rest it. You can rehab it. You can hope that it heals. There are, I think, Tommy John alternatives. I know Nick Anderson of the Braves had the UCL brace procedure. That could get you back maybe in six months or faster Maybe, but it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point for Otani. If he wants to pitch at the level that he has, he's probably going to have to get his elbow repaired again in some way, shape, or form, and the likely outcome of that is Tommy John, but that has not obviously been decided. Uh, The Tommy John procedure that he underwent was in October of 2018, and if he undergoes it again, obviously he would not be on the mound at any point in the 2024 season, and this is a crazy, crazy development in what was about to be, I think, and still could be. I mean, let's just point out that Shohei Ohtani is still Shohei Ohtani even if he has to take a year off from pitching. Guys come back from Tommy John surgery. Ohtani came back from Tommy John surgery, but the timing before baseball's biggest free agent bonanza that we'll have ever seen for a top pitcher, top hitter, same guy, what's that contract going to be? 50 million a year, 60 million a year, 600 million dollars in total, 700 million dollars I saw somebody throw that out. I don't know who's going to line up and be able to pay 700 million dollars, but hey, there are teams out there that are going to be bidding for his services, and that bidding war could still uh, be an extremely high bar. $450 million, I think, is still in play for this guy. Above that, beyond that, I don't know. And the future of him on the mound was a big component and a big selling point of signing Shohei Otani for all that money because he can, in fact, do things that nobody else in baseball can do to the level in which he's doing it. And the only time that you're even able to get a comparable you know, peer for what Otani's done, it's Babe Ruth. I don't know if we talk about Babe Ruth as much on the show anymore or, you know, these days, but Babe Ruth was the biggest superstar in baseball. And he pretty much put baseball, I think, on the map in a lot of ways. Maybe the biggest superstar in American sports. We can have that debate some other time on some other show. Maybe somebody else can handle that. But either way, when you look at baseball history, Babe Ruth's a rather pivotal character. And the fact that you've got Shohei Otani doing things that we have not seen since the likes of Babe Ruth, and doing it at the same time. Remember, Ruth gave up pitching, by and large, so that he could go become the slugger that he became. Shohei Otani was doing both, and that, I think, is special. But you don't need me to tell you that, because if you're listening to the show and you've got a pair of eyes and you've watched Shohei Otani, you know exactly how good he is. The interesting things about this injury, though, and some of the aftermath of that was that Otani had been dealing with a couple of arm-related ailments. Uh, one of them was some cramping in his hand in Seattle, Uh, a little while back. I think uh, August the 3rd was the date of that, and when he returned to the mound in San Francisco six days later, they threw 97 pitches over six innings and then cited some arm fatigue. Well, Otani and his side of things, his agency, declined to have any imaging done at that time, and as it turns out, after this most recent start on Wednesday, they got the imaging done and found that it was a much bigger deal, so I'm sure that the Angels are obviously trying to you know, stand by their player, also stand by their decision to allow the player to kind of decide exactly where he wants to go medically forward and if he felt that an MRI was necessary. But the handling of this heading into free agency clearly is going to have, I think, some ramifications and some discussions about how the Angels dealt with all of that. But just terrible news as far as the Shohei Otani thing is concerned. And hopefully he's able to get the surgery, come back, and resume doing what he's done. But, you know, and I say this <laughs> obviously with all the respect in the world, If he's not able to come back to that level and pitch, he could still have an outstanding Hall of Fame career as a hitter. And not many people, nay anyone, can say that they get to do that. Elsewhere across baseball, the White Sox made some big moves as they fired their vice president, Ken Williams, and their general manager, Rick Hahn, this past week. Ken Williams had been with this club for a very, very long time, I believe about three decades. He was a player for the White Sox in the late 80s, early 90s, but began working in the front office in 1992, He had been the general manager. He was the GM for the 2005 World Series winning team. And ultimately, when you look at where the White Sox have been, especially the last few years, they just have not, despite some considerable talent, been able to put it all together in an American League Central that honestly should be theirs for the taking. It should be somebody's for the taking. It's typically become a division that, since 2020, has not really had the kind of firepower that some other divisional races have had. And again, the White Sox have had a pretty talented roster over the past few years, but they have really, really underperformed. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf obviously is the owner of the White Sox, and I think there's some questions about that. I know I saw a lot of commentary on social media about, well, whenever Jerry Reinsdorf fires himself, they'll really have solved the White Sox problems from a leadership standpoint. But being as that's typically not an option for most owners, they will be on the search for a new team president and a new general manager. And again, it hasn't been the talent on the field that's been the big problem. It was a really questionable decision a year ago for Reinsdorf to bring in Tony La Russa and put him in charge of that club. And you can't lay all of the blame at La Russa's feet, but that certainly didn't help for what became a clubhouse and an on-field product that just was not able to sync up and do the things that a team like that should have done. So some big news with a GM and a team president fired over the course of the past week. Meanwhile, a career coming to an end for a World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, one of the most heralded prospects in the history of baseball, exploded onto the scene in 2010. Many people, myself included, were glued to the TV to watch that first outing and to see just how big of a superstar Steven Strasburg was going to become. And as it turned out, he helped the Nationals win the World Series, and that, I think, will be a big part of his legacy. And
0: a World Series Game 7-winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions!
4: The Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Award presented by Chevrolet goes to Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals. Steven had two pivotal victories in the World Series and a great postseason run. Congratulations on it.
3: It's just surreal. And, um, you know, to be able to do it with this group of guys is just something special. You know, we didn't quit and uh, I love every one of those guys
1: took all of us to do it 2019 world series mvp steven strasberg right there and i think that was the the crown jewel of what he was able to accomplish over his decade plus in the majors and uh, strasberg just 35 years old signed a huge contract with the washington nationals after winning that world series mvp and unfortunately has not been able to live up to that contract it was a seven-year 245 million dollar contract And for Strasburg, he has only been able to throw about 31 innings since signing that huge contract and had to deal with thoracic outlet syndrome, also had Tommy John surgery earlier in his career, a lot of arm issues for Steven Strasburg and just not able to crank it up and pitch again, so the decision to retire. Three-time All-Star, 13 years, 113 wins, 62 losses, 324 ERA, and over 1,700 strikeouts and less than 250 career starts. I think he got a little bit further down the road than did Mark Pryor, but it always kind of you know, brings up the thoughts of you know, different guys for different reasons. Injuries, of course, was a huge part for uh, Mark Pryor and a huge part for Kerry Wood not having the careers you thought that they might have. Doc Gooden, a little bit of a different story, clearly. But just you kind of ask, what if? Like, what if this guy had been able to stay healthy? What if this guy had been able to pitch 15 years without having to deal with major injury? I think we were talking about a Hall of Fame arm, but unfortunately for Steven Strasburg, That was not the way for him, but good luck to him on whatever comes next. And in case you're wondering, there has been no real announcement about what the financial outcome is for the next couple of years that he is owed on that contract. Uh, Meanwhile, out in Oakland, a season in which you might have expected this, well, the news was made official before we got to September. The A's became the first team eliminated from MLB playoff contention during their what can only be called a historically bad season season. That was perpetrated on purpose by owner John Fisher in his zeal for getting his team moved to Las Vegas. And that, of course, is in process as well. But uh, the Oakland Athletics were eliminated from postseason contention over the weekend. They're 38 and 92, 34 and a half games out of a playoff spot with 32 games to play. Uh, the A's, meanwhile, if you're curious, are on pace for 115 losses this season. There are only three clubs in baseball history that have lost more than 115 games the 62 Mets, 120, 2003 Tigers lost 119, and the 1916 Philadelphia Athletics, the A's, 117 losses uh, just over a century ago. So uh, those are the things that are going on out in Oakland. None of them are good, and some of them, most of them, all of them, they're going to be moving to Vegas very soon. Let's wrap up with something a little bit better from the American League West. The Seattle Mariners are a red-hot team. They may be the hottest team in baseball right now, and if you look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, well, it's built on the backs of an offense that has really taken off. And their young superstar, Julio Rodriguez, is right in the middle of all of that. Oh, boy.
0: Julio, deep drive, right left field. That is home run number 50 in his great young career. Becomes the fastest player in Mariners history to reach 50 home runs. Does it in game number 256.
1: Pretty impressive stuff, and when you think about that franchise, there was a certain 19-year-old who came up in 1989 by the name of George Kenneth Griffey Jr., who also did some pretty good things at a young age. But first two seasons for Julio Rodriguez have been absolutely outstanding. He's a 2020 club member as well in his first two years in the big leagues, but this is all part of what the Mariners have been doing. They came into the 101st game of the season with a 50-50 and 50 record. They were partial sellers at the trade deadline. But since game 101 of the season, they've gone 23-6. and They have stormed to the top of the American League West as the Rangers have kind of stumbled. The Astros have most certainly stumbled. And now the door's kind of open for the Seattle Mariners to maybe make a run in the West and make that run through October that they were really thinking about after making it to the postseason a year ago. We'll see if this Mariners team can remain red hot over the course of the final month of this season and then make that run through October. That's what's going on around the big leagues this week, but when we come back, we will continue our discussion of some of the big things around baseball and a little bit about this historic Braves offense. I'll be joined by Ben Verlander of Fox Sports. He's the brother of Justin Verlander. He's got a podcast, Flippin' Bats is what it's called. We'll check in with him and get some conversation going about some of the big stories across baseball, including what went on with Shohei Otani this past week. That's coming up next here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia studios on a Sunday as we continue our look around the big leagues. But we're going to talk Braves and everything else with a man who does that on his very own show. It's called Flippin' Bats. His name is Ben Verlander. Ben, great to see you. Great to talk to you. And man, do we have a lot to get into today. (laughs)
4: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. appreciate
1: it. I want to lead off with the Braves offense. This has been a tour de force all year long. I've you know grown up watching this club. I've covered this club for uh, over a decade and a half now. And it is crazy to see the level to which the Braves offense is now taking it. Best lineup I've ever seen in Braves franchise history. And the home runs, I think, are the thing that bear it out. Uh, on pace to shatter the single-season franchise record of 249 homers. They head into the weekend with 240 against the Giants. They're on pace for 308 home runs on the year, which is right in line with the 307-record-setting Minnesota Twins of 2019. When you look at this Braves lineup, I kind of break it down like this. There's power, and there's powerful lineups, and then there's what the Braves are doing.
4: Yeah, it, it is unprecedented the pace they're on. Uh, home run-wise, power-wise, is obviously uh, historic. But it's not just that. It's everything throughout the lineup. There's no easy out. Mm. Um, and I said this the other day. The thing that makes the Atlanta Braves the Atlanta Braves this year is 7, 8, and 9 in their lineup. That's what separates them from everybody else. I mean, everybody who's an all-star, the whole infield, and the number nine hitter in their lineup is above league average in OPS, it's remarkable how good and how deep that lineup is. And I actually, I said this a few months ago as well. I do believe this is the best Braves team of all time. And that's not just, I grew up a Braves fan. I grew up uh, in Richmond, Virginia, 10 minutes from the Richmond Braves stadium, Mm -hmm. went to a ton of those games. Braves were on TBS every single night. I was watching them every single night. Chipper and Andrew were my favorite players. John Smoltz was my favorite pitcher. And I, I was a massive Braves fan, and um, th- that was a pretty good time to be a Braves fan as well. I really do. I believe this is the best Atlanta Braves team that I've ever seen, and it's because of how good that lineup is. And, and the lineup gets all the talk, but man, the pitching staff, and that hasn't even been healthy the majority of the year, right. is so good when they're healthy and on the mound it really is a special team this year
1: it certainly is because you've got all the pieces that are there for something really special to happen and that's the crazy thing about baseball i mean as long as you've been watching i've been watching a lot of people out there listening to it maybe even longer than both of us have even been alive in some cases but when you see a team that can get on a run in october and get hot you can make some history but when you see a club where all of the pieces seem to be in place throughout the course of the season and maybe coming together at the right time getting healthy and the pitching staff to your point The Spraise offense could take this to the next level because of the pitching staff they're going to be supporting. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Olson because he's in the middle of all of this, having the best season of his career. Some very deserved MVP talk, even though there's another MVP candidate in this lineup and Ronald Acuna Jr. having a historic season. But Matt has a chance to break a franchise record himself of Andrew Jones' 51 home runs in a single season set in 2005. He's on pace for 55. Olsen is as of Friday. What are you seeing from Matt Olson this year that's maybe just taking his game, which was already pretty powerful, to the next level here in 2023?
4: I think the big thing for him has been consistency. I think throughout his career, this isn't an anomaly. Matt Olson has been very good throughout his career. The difference this year has been he's been consistently really good. And He's very streaky throughout his career. He'll go on stretches where he's one of the best in baseball, and then he'll go through a really rough patch. And this year, it just feels like he's done better at eliminating the majority of those rough patches that everybody goes through throughout the year. I'm not saying he hasn't had any because he does, but a game of baseball is about learning how to deal with failure, and the quicker you can do it and the quicker you can get out of ruts, uh, the better you're going to be for it. And I think this is really the first year from Matt Olson that we've gotten to see the majority good. He's really done a good job minimizing those rough patches and putting together a season where he's getting out of that quickly. And that's why I think we're seeing what we're seeing from him.
1: Yeah. And that flip in the lineup that sent him to the number four spot and elevated Ozzie Albies to the two spot. That may be one of the great lineup changes I've ever seen because Ozzie clearly as one of the top RBI men in baseball. And wouldn't you expect that out of the guy who might be five, eight on a good day, and then, of course, Matt Olsen with all the power that he's got in the middle of the order behind Austin Riley and in front of a resurgent Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario. And to your point, I kind of want to go back to this as well because I think it speaks to Olsen's success and everybody else's. And something that Matt has actually said a few times this year, my success is kind of a byproduct of how good everyone else is in the lineup. And I don't feel that there's a lot of pressure that I have to be the one guy to come through because we've got threats one through nine. So if you're a pitcher... How exactly do you game plan for the Atlanta Braves? Because, you know, it's no secret. You'll look at a lineup and say, OK, I don't want to let this guy beat me. I want to be careful here. This is where I'm going to go get my outs. And here's how I'm going to attack this lineup. But the Braves lineup doesn't really afford you the ability to say, here are the outs and let me work backwards from there.
4: Yeah, the lineup is <laughs> very difficult to game plan for. But one, you say, I don't let Ronald Acuna Jr. beat me. That's one. And, uh, you know, like with with Ozzie top of the lineup you'd rather face him hitting left-handed than right I mean there's only but so much you can do though yeah so it's a very tough game plan and to your point of what you were just saying with Olsen and, and all and those guys is what makes them so good this year is when an offense is going well there's a snowball effect mm-hmm. and you see that with everybody you know that's how offenses score six, seven, eight runs in an inning at times because it's a snowball effect. And that's how offenses, good offenses get no hit because it's the same in reverse. With this Braves team, there's so many really good hitters that that snowball effect, if you will, is kicking into effect more often. And, and hitting is contagious. And if you have those guys around you continuously hitting, then it's going to help you throughout your season. And that's what we're seeing with them. And I don't know how you game plan for them. You have your guys you don't let beat you. Uh, Normally, there's one in a lineup, and I just feel like the Braves probably have three in their lineup that they're, okay, this guy can't beat you, this guy can't beat you, and this guy can't beat you, and then you look at the lineup and it's like, well, shoot, they're hitting right next to each other, What what do we do? I don't think many teams have figured out the answer to that.
1: No, I would say not, because of right about the time that you think you've figured that out, well, here comes Marcelo Zuna with a big home run, or Eddie Rosario hits a go-ahead grand slam. I mean, it has been, again, like I said earlier, a, truly a, a tour de force. And that snowball you mentioned... A lot of times that thing starts rolling in the first inning, and it doesn't really show any signs of stopping throughout the course of a game. Chatting with Ben Verlander of Fox Sports, he's the host of the Flippin' Bats podcast. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. He joins me here on From the Diamond with Grant Macaulay on the Wadeford.com hotline on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Uh, you've had a chance to catch up with an all-time great Brave quite a bit here lately. One of your favorite pitchers, perhaps your favorite pitcher. At least growing up, you might have a, a different one now. Uh, but I had him on the show last week, the Hall of Famer John Smoltz. He always has such great insights into pitching for obvious reasons, but I know you guys are having a lot of fun hitting some of the other stories around baseball because Smoltzy does have that national baseball gig and gets to see an awful lot of all 30 teams.
4: Yeah, it's been really cool. Every Saturday this year, John Smoltz comes on my show, Flippin' Bats, and, you know, I've said this a few times on the show. It's always like a, you know, don't want to sound too cheesy, but it's like a pinch-me moment every time because – Growing up in the 90s, watching my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves, seeing John Smoltz do what he was doing in that rotation with Glavin and Maddox. You know, if you were to tell 10-year-old Ben that one day you'd have a a baseball show and John Smoltz would be on it every single week, I don't know if I'd believe you, but I'd sure be happy. And Yeah. yeah, I mean... It's been awesome, and now has turned into something that I really look forward to, and I think he looks forward to, and we really do have about 15, 20 minutes of just an awesome baseball conversation, which is what I love to do. You know, I I played for as long as I could, uh, played for five years professionally, but I truly believe I was put on earth to talk baseball, and to be able to do that with John Smoltz is really cool, and I asked him about that. What I was saying earlier in the year that I think this is the best Braves team, Atlanta Braves team I've ever seen. What do you think about that as a guy that if there is an argument, it's one of your teams. You know, it's it's one of those 90s teams that mm-hmm. are 14 in a row. And he said, you know, there were some good ones and you can go back a little further and find some good ones as well. But I, I do think this could be the best Atlanta Braves team of all time. And to hear him say that was rather uh, validating for the thought that I had.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely comes with a lot of validation. And John Smoltz has been in town here recently calling some Braves games. I mentioned I got a chance to catch up with him as well. And you know everybody, whether it's John Smoltz or Tom Glavin or you know, Chipper Jones, was doing the broadcast recently. And, of course, he's working with a lot of these hitters. You know, the praise is effusive for what this lineup can do. And uh, clearly that's a big part of the Braves' success here in 2023 with a couple of months of success, they hope, still out in front of them. Uh, why don't we hit a few topics across baseball, and none bigger, unfortunately, than the news about Shohei Otani this week. Torn UCL, that ends his season on the mound, but he is going to DH for the remainder of the year for the Angels. Obviously, he'll have to make a big decision to chart his course as a pitcher going forward. He's experienced Tommy John surgery in the past. And gosh, this story has so many different angles. What was your initial reaction to hearing the news about Shohei Otani and the injury to the elbow?
4: The initial reaction was just heartbreak yeah. for him, for the game of baseball. And, you know, that might be a dramatic word, but what he's meant to the game this year, specifically with. Baseball is skyrocketing right now. Attendance is up almost 10%, and so many different reasons and factors for that. But one of those is him. I mean, he's the greatest that I've ever seen. I think mm-hmm. I, the greatest we've ever seen, I think, mm-hmm. and, and that's fair to say. And just to have the season end on the mound the way it has, it's tough. And, you know, I think what makes it so difficult is the uncertainty of the future and If I were a betting man, I'd say he's probably going to have to get Tommy John and and not pitch next year. And yeah, just it's a tough blow for the game of baseball. I feel awful for him uh, as a guy that has gotten to know him over the last year plus to realize how much this guy cares about the game and about baseball and changing the landscape of the baseball world as we know it, which I believe he has. Yeah. Uh, but, but knowing him and knowing that's how he is, and it just it sucks for him, and I, I feel really, really bad for him as he's getting ready to enter this unprecedented golf season.
1: Yeah, obviously the next step's free agency for him. This injury will have some kind of impact on that, but it's hard not to focus on the still potentially crazy and record-breaking contract that is likely to be out there, even if this may change some of the dynamics of that. But to your point. I mean, Shohei Ohtani showed us things that we did not think it was possible for one man to do on a baseball field. We've seen great pitchers. We've seen great hitters. We have not seen anything the likes of Shohei Ohtani, so hopefully he's able to get that all sorted out. Uh, Speaking of great pitchers, I did want to ask you a little bit about this season for the Verlanders. Your brother Justin, one of the big signings for the New York Mets over the winter. Clearly, things for that club did not pan out this year. The future is changing as well for that team. We'll see you know, how they're able to kind of rebound and you know reassess and reorganize up there. Uh, but there was a trade this season that sent Justin in a very familiar direction back to Houston. This had to have been a crazy ride for him. And to find out that the Astros uh, were interested in this reunion still to this point and to find his way back there, I would imagine that's about as good as you could draw up a potential trade scenario when you went into a season, probably with trade as far away from your mind as possible.
4: Yeah, it was quite the whirlwind, you know. Like I I watched his first game back in an Astros uniform and it was weird, you know, to have so much of obviously his life, but our our family's life since twenty seventeen become about the Astros and his whole career was the Detroit Tigers. So that switch was crazy for everybody. And then to have it end in the perfect way. I mean One of the best seasons ever for a pitcher coming off of Tommy John. Certainly one of the best seasons ever for a pitcher his age Mm -hmm. um, to win the Cy Young Award, to win the World Series. I mean, it was like the perfect storybook ending. And it was like, okay, book closed once he realized that he was moving on. You know, you obviously don't close it if he was going to resign there. But the second you realize, okay, I'm going to the Mets, it was. all right that's the end of this story that's the perfect ending and then fast forward in terms of his baseball pitching because he missed the first month of the year fast forward a couple of months and he's back in an Astros uniform it's like all right open it back up here we go it really was weird to see but you quickly realize you know I, I watch him back in the dugout and seeing him first day back talking to really good friends and I don't think many people understand how difficult a, a trade is. You know, like he's got a family. You know, mm-hmm. my sister-in-law, my niece. I mean, it, he's got a family. It's difficult to just up and move across the country whenever you want. You know, it's a lot easier as a single guy just trying to get by in life. But to move your family to New York and then all that happen and go back to Houston, and it was such a whirlwind. And now to see him there, settled in, and after his last start. Uh, just talking to him about how he's figured it out. Like he just feels like his mechanics, he figured it out, and it's it's really cool to see him back there in Houston and and thriving again on the mound for sure. But a wild journey this year.
1: Yeah, crazy road, and baseball has a few of those. But Ben Verlander, appreciate everything, all your time here, and let everybody know about flipping bats where they can find it, and uh, maybe what you got coming up.
4: Yeah, of course, Grant. Thanks for having me. As as usual, always appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's called Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander. It's wherever you listen to your podcast. And this year's been so much fun. And I bring up obviously John Smoltz on once a week. I bring a, a player on once a week. I just had Gunnar Henderson on a couple days ago. Had Austin Riley earlier in the year, who uh, I love. Austin Riley. So uh, yeah, it's just been a blast of a show. And playoffs and World Series will be on the road there. So. I wouldn't doubt it one bit if I end up here in Atlanta in just a couple of weeks.
1: All right. Well, we'll look forward to that in uh, maybe in a couple of months. You might be rolling around in Atlanta. Who knows where the road's going to take us by the time we get to October. But ben, appreciate all your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. He's been Verlander of Fox Sports, flipping bats wherever you get your podcast. Check it out there. Appreciate his time. When we come back, we'll turn our focus back to the Atlanta Braves in the week to come as they continue their road trip. And we'll do it next, right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 929 The Game.
0: Taking a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond on Sports Radio 929 The Game.
1: This is From the Diamond, Sports Radio 929 The Game. Grant McCauley with you as we wrap up this edition of the show. Take another look what's going on with the atlanta braves and of course the week ahead as atlanta continues its road trip Had a lot of good braves discussion on the show thus far if you happen to miss uh, a conversation i just had with ben verlander of fox sports be sure you check it out wherever you get your podcast you can subscribe to from the diamond there you can find it on the odyssey app as well and if you need any links for all these kinds of things from the diamond.com is a place for that you can also find me on social at grant mccauley on most platforms so Take a look out there and I'll have all those links and fun things for you. But as you know, I like to have lots of Braves discussions and we got a little bit of time left and a few more things to cover. And in particular, as we started the show and talked about the reasons why the Atlanta Braves were starting to feel like a club that is, well, 40 games over 500, has the best record in baseball and has what they hope is a date with destiny come October, is that the starting pitching has started to really find itself over the last couple of weeks. This rotation as a team you know, if anybody was out there kind of watching and wondering, like, what is the maybe one weakness that this Braves club has? Well, some people point to the bullpen because every once in a while, you're going to lose a game that you were leading late. And you're also going to win a few games that you were probably trailing late in the game as well. And those seem to have evened out pretty well for the Braves. And by and large, you look at the numbers for the bullpen, as I talked about earlier on, you know, you've got the second best bullpen ERA in baseball. It's not the end-all, beat-all stat, but it will tell you that for the most part, this is a group that's getting the job done. The starting rotation, though, I think was the area that a lot of people were kind of focused on coming out of the trade deadline because the Braves didn't go out and acquire a starter. They were looking at get Max Fried back in their rotation. He is back. And I think Max Fried has looked pretty good thus far, and I think he could look better as he goes forward and just gets more reps, more innings, and gets that opportunity to really sharpen some things up in advance of October. But you needed to see the guys that really did the heavy lifting all season long just continue to make their contributions. But simultaneously, it felt like now Spencer Strider would encounter a bad start. Bryce Elder had a couple of bad starts. Charlie Morton had a couple of bad starts, and it was all happening at the same time, and even Max Fried had a hiccup in the middle of all of that. And then you had what was going on in the fifth spot of the rotation, which was a complete lack of clarity, and you know, going out and getting a waiver claim, Yanni Chirinos, who, despite the fact the Braves won four of the five games he pitched, it did not give you a lot of faith about what was happening when he was taking the mound because of the amount of runs that he was giving up to the tune of a 9.26 ERA in those five starts. So More to the focus of what the Braves needed to see. It wasn't, well, who can be the fifth starter at this point in the season when you're doing what this club has done all year long? It's, can we get everybody right and heading in the correct direction heading into October? The Braves starters are topping MLB with 13 wins this month. Uh, They're only 13th, though, with a 421 ERA. You might be asking, well, how exactly does that work? Well, you know the Braves offense is a big factor in this, but also Braves starting pitchers not named Yanni Torinos have a 334 ERA this month. That is the aforementioned group. Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, Bryce Elder, Max Fried, and the likes. But you can see that the top four in the Braves rotation has been doing what it needs to do. And most importantly, I think, coming out of that trade deadline and not deciding to go get a starter was built in large part on knowing that Max Freed was ready to return. And as I talked about on the show, what, three weeks ago, almost four weeks ago, how many Major League Baseball clubs at the trade deadline were having to make their decisions and did not have the ace of their staff potentially walking back through that door in the next five to seven days. I would say the other 29 teams were all in that boat because the Braves were just in a unique situation. And it wasn't just getting back your third or fourth starter. This is getting back a front-of-the-rotation starter. And when you consider the ones that were traded over the course of the trade deadline and the cost of those, and even the cost of the back end of the rotation, the, kind of the guys that you would use to stabilize, I guess, if you will, well, some of those were pretty pricey. And many of those, save maybe Lance Lynn with the Dodgers, who I still don't have a lot of faith in that lasting for the remainder of the year. But hey, it was maybe not as much cost for the Dodgers in that regard. But some of the other guys, even Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter. Now he's getting knocked around. Lucas Giolito's been roughed up. Jack Flaherty has not been particularly good either for the Baltimore Orioles. And there was some injury concern in the midst of all of that. So Nothing is promised that just because you went out and got somebody new that it was going to be better than what you had. And I think the Braves knew that they had something good coming back in the person of Max Freed. Now, Max was out there against the San Francisco Giants on Saturday, helped the Braves pick up that 7-3 win. And I think as most importantly, perhaps on his stat line, I mean, the six innings and the quality start and the two earned runs allowed, yeah, those are all great. But back-to-back games right around that 100-pitch mark. When he came back from the injured list, you still felt like maybe 75, 85 pitches was what the Braves were looking at. How long was that going to go on? Because at some point, I'm sure Max Fried, and I know he did in Pittsburgh when he had that bad inning and really wanted to go out and throw another frame, but he knew his day was probably done because he had expended all the bullets they were going to allow him that day. You wanted to know when Max Freed was going to be able to go out and compete with little to no restriction and kind of feel like himself again. Well, he's still working on all of that. Still trying to sharpen a few things up. And Max, you know, he, even the, though the Braves won by a 7-3 score, he had a very honest assessment of what exactly he did on Saturday. Here's Braves pitcher
3: Max Reed. feel like it's getting better. Definitely feel like it's time where I need to start getting better. No giving up less walks, less hard contact, definitely. You know, not happy about giving up that homer, especially uh, to give up the lead, but... The guys did an unbelievable job battling and fighting back and working to uh, you know, get a couple runs across, and I was just happy to be able to, to hold it and then hand it off to the bullpen. It's been incredible.
1: Now, the bullpen has done some great work for the Braves. They were able to close it out, three innings of one-run ball after Freed was done with another quality start. Six innings and two earned runs. He struck out eight against San Francisco. That matched the eight batters he punched out against the Cubs when he came back after a 90-day, and exactly 90-day layoff uh, and then you look at this game log and you saw the six scoreless innings against Chicago, Max Freed looked like Max Freed. The four earned runs and four innings against Pittsburgh, not as much. Then two earned runs and six innings against the New York Yankees to pick up a win there. Five and two-thirds innings of three-run ball against the Giants last time out at Truist Park, and then comes back out and sees them, what, five days later and is able to toss a better start at the same club. And as we've seen, that can be challenging at times. But when you're Max Freed and you've got five pitches at your disposal and he was really utilizing that curveball on Sunday. I loved to see that. I felt like that had him you know, finding the answers he needed to find on the mound. Now, you do the work in between the starts. You continue to get the reps, the up-downs, as we talked about earlier. And you see Max Freed kind of rounding himself into form as we head into September. Now, you looked at a couple of the other members of this Braves rotation. How about Spencer Strider? Last couple of outings, he has punched out 19 batters and allowed just one run over the last two starts. You track him back a little further than that. He's at 21 innings. And just one earned run allowed, one run of any nature allowed. And his 20-inning scoreless streak was snapped in the seventh inning against the San Francisco Giants a couple of nights ago. But 25 strikeouts in those 21 innings. Looks very Spencer Strider-like. And a little bit of strikeout history for Spencer as well. He became just the fourth Braves pitcher since 1900 to strike out 230 batters in a season. That might sound like an arbitrary cutoff point, and maybe it is. But the fact that the only other guys who have done it The last one was Javi Vasquez in 2009, 238 strikeouts for him. Then you had John Smoltz, who did it twice, 96 and 97. And you had Phil Necro, who did it in the late 70s, 77 and 78. And that's the list. And Spencer Strider, I think he's going to be on a lot of lists when it comes to pitching records, particularly strikeouts, with John Smoltz and Phil Necro, who have the top two strikeout totals in the franchise's history. But the fun thing, I think, about Spencer Strider is not just what he does on the mound, but the personality. Of Spencer is truly unique. Last year he finished one and two in the rookie of the year award with Michael Harris the second and there's a phenomenon that seems to go on every fifth day where Spencer goes out to make his start and do his thing and that usually involves a lot of strikeouts and the Braves winning a baseball game and on the offensive side it seems to be Michael Harris picking up a couple of three hits maybe hitting a home run making a great diving catch whatever it is but Spencer Strider was talking about the phenomenon of he and Michael Harris and what happens every fifth day for this Braves Club. Take a listen.
4: And you told Michael to stop showing you up on your starts. Is that true?
3: Yeah, he needs to relax a little or at least start giving me some of his pay every five days because something about me pitching is helping him play. So um, not that he doesn't play well every, every day, but, uh, yeah, yeah, we were sitting there before the game eating, and um, I almost said to him, like, oh well, probably going to have good games today, huh? And so, of course, he, he had a good game, so glad I could help him.
1: Yeah, well, I think everyone's helping everybody at this point. That was Kelly Kroll of Valley Sports asking that question because there is just there's a camaraderie, a kinship, whatever you want to call it. And you know, those two guys paths crossing in the Rookie of the Year battle a year ago, but two huge parts of the Braves' success in 2022. No surprise they're doing it again in 2023. And if you watch those postgame you know press conferences and whatnot, I mean, there's a lot of shirts that are out there with different members of the Braves on them. You'll find Spencer Strider doing his post-game availability, wearing that Michael Harris II shirt. And you'll see Michael Harris II walking around maybe doing that pregame interview wearing a Spencer Strider shirt. You can just tell these are some guys that really enjoy playing with one another and having some fun like that as well. Charlie Morton, meanwhile, he's been having some fun the last couple of outings, I would say. And he's looked, I think, as good in his last two starts as any time in a Braves uniform for him Seven innings against the New York Mets last time out, a season-high 11 strikeouts for Charlie, who allowed just two hits and one walk. Circle that one in red. That followed up his start against the New York Yankees, where he tossed six innings of four-hit ball with no runs, one walk and 10 strikeouts. And this followed, these two starts with one walk and double-digit strikeouts, followed a five-inning scoreless outing against the Mets with seven walks. Now, I know that was a baffling line, and and Charlie, we heard him on the show a couple of weeks ago trying to kind of make sense of how exactly a seven-walk outing occurred and what exactly was going on and how in the world nobody scored during that one. That's also great. But I feel like he started to unlock a few things to figure out release point, where he needed to be, the adjustments that he could make over these last two starts, one against the Yankees and one against the New York Mets. Now, if you get Charlie Morton going at this rate, and you know his postseason pedigree, I think it speaks for itself. And this is a guy that, for the Braves in 2021, was out there helping him through the first couple of rounds of the postseason and even continued pitching on a broken leg in the World Series. He hasn't really felt like he's been that level of Charlie Morton for an entirety of a season. In 2022, it started slowly. In 2023, there's just been some ups and downs. But if he's able to dial things in and give the Braves these kind of performances, you start to feel pretty good. About this postseason rotation, when you're thinking about Max Fried being back and healthy, Spencer Strider has the kind of stuff that was just built for October. And I say that with respect to Charlie Morton because he's got the power pitcher profile that has led to a lot of October success. You get those guys healthy, which they weren't in the 2022 NLDS, you could be seeing a very different Braves club and a very different outcome for this Braves club considering the offensive firepower that they have as well. But the fact that you've got Max Reed kind of rounded into form, Spencer Strider putting up a couple of great outings, a few great outings in a row now, and Charlie Morton suddenly throwing some of his best games, this has to get you feeling a little bit better about what the Braves rotation is right now and what it could be in the most important games of the season. And then you throw in what Bryce Elder's been able to do here lately. I think he started to right the ship as well. Bryce with seven scoreless innings, one hit against the New York Yankees in a winning effort, and then last time out against the New York Mets, One run on three hits over five and a third innings. And I think if you're being realistic about Bryce Elder, if he can get you into the sixth inning allowing a run or two or throw you a quality start, you put it with the offense, you're going to figure out a way to win a lot of games. And the Braves have certainly done that with Bryce Elder this year. And even though he had a couple of hiccups in and around the All-Star break and coming out into the second half, I think he's capable of at least keeping the Braves in that game. So that four lines up pretty well. And then we've got Kyle Wright working his way back making his rehab starts down in the minor leagues right now. Probably three more of those to go. The Braves can mix and match some of their minor league names to rest the rotation, reset the rotation for some important series as they go forward. We'll see how all of that plays out, and that's a role that Bryce Elder played marvelously in 2022 and parlayed that into success in All-Star season in 2023. So that's what's going on in the Braves' starting rotation, and the Braves will continue their road trip. As coming up, they've got three games in Colorado, all 8.40 p.m. Eastern time starts. And then a four-game series with the L.A. Dodgers will be coming your way Thursday through Sunday. And that's going to be a big one. That's one a lot of folks are going to have their eyes on. Braves and Dodgers could be on a collision course come October. They're going to be on a collision course come the end of this week. That'll wrap things up for today's show. My thanks, as always, to Garrett Chapman for helping me out here, keeping the show on the rails. My thanks to Ben Verlander for joining the show earlier. And you got to hear from Kyle Wright from Jesse Chavez. Make sure you check it out. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find From the Diamonds. You can find me next Sunday right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I'm Grant McCauley. Until then, so long, everyone.